everybody, and welcome to this week's Ask Amy segment. Thanks so much for joining us. Andrea Sladen is with me again this week. She's our investigative producer here and helps me with a lot of consumer things and all these questions that you guys are asking. We've been getting a lot of questions. Yeah, we get a lot of questions um, all the time, and we don't often, we don't usually turn them into stories. You know, we'll answer the questions and we'll learn information for ourselves a lot of times. Yeah, definitely more questions than there are news stories. But even if something doesn't make it on air in the broadcast, then we're still answering people's questions. I always say, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but whenever we're choosing which question, which complaint from from consumers and viewers will turn into a news story, I usually look and say, how many other people are likely to find themselves in this boat? I mean, how many other people can relate to this person's story? And by hearing how we solve the problem could benefit to maybe solve their own problem later. Right, and Amy has her own email, but this main email is askamy at kprc.com. And we do get, you know, a lot of times we'll look in the questions to not only answer them, but then just kind of get like an idea of the pulse of the community, you know, like what people are most interested in. Because sometimes we'll get multiple questions on the same topics. Yeah, and and that's a lot of times too how we can tell when something big might be happening with a company that it's like all of a sudden within two weeks we got – four to eight emails from people all about the same company or all about the same problem, you know, and it kind of helps us see what what you guys are going through out there. So keep your questions coming. We're going to dedicate this segment to answering some of your questions that we've received over the last couple of weeks. All right. We're going to start off with something that affects everyone, especially after all the flooding events that happened in Houston, flood insurance. Um, Louisiana emailed us. She says, I have a question about flood insurance. Mine is up for renewal, but I'm wondering if I can shop around for better rates. I am required now to have it after Hurricane Harvey. Yeah, so two big things here that she said. She wants to know if she can shop around. Um, and the answer is it depends on your mortgage company. So if you, you know, obviously if your home's not paid in full, if you still have a mortgage on your house, if you're in a flood zone, which it tells me that she is, since she said she's required to have it since Hurricane Harvey, um, in Texas, you're only required to have flood insurance um, by your mortgage company. So if you're in a flood zone, your mortgage company is going to say, you need some sort of protection if we get a storm. And so you need to ask your mortgage company, hey, can I, would you accept private flood insurance, which is a fairly new thing, or do I have to have flood insurance from the National Flood Insurance Program backed by FEMA. It's part of, it's like a government, part of the government program. Mm -hmm. um, and so once she finds out from her insurance company, if they accept private um, flood insurance, she could then shop around. I did that. Um, I think I told you whenever I did this back in May, because I got my new renewal for my flood insurance from the National Flood Insurance Program. And I was like, wow, my rate went up from, I had to write it down. It was $572 last year, and this year they wanted $687. The coverage is the same. The deductibles are, the, you know, like everything's the same, what they would pay out. You can never get more than $250,000 from flood insurance through FEMA, no matter how much your house is worth. So I was like, let me see if I can get any better rates. Do you have flood insurance? We are not in a floodplain, but we live um, up in the Kingwood area where, as you may have heard, <laughs> some of those areas flooded. So to me, I'm like, I don't care if you tell me I'm never going to flood. Now, I don't believe anything. Yeah. I'm getting flood insurance. So we right. got it um, probably two years ago, and it's always been in that 500 ish dollar range. But this year, like you're saying, yes, I did notice it go up 
a little. Now we're in the $600 range. Yeah. And neither one of us are in flood zones. I'm not either. But again, probably both of us being in news have heard the stories over and over about it has never flooded here before. And then somebody has two feet of water in their home. So you just don't want to be in that situation. Now, if the woman, if Louisiana is um, with National Flood Insurance Program and her mortgage company says that's who she has to use, then it doesn't matter where she buys the flood insurance from. Like multiple brokers and agencies can sell in flood insurance from FEMA. It's all going to be the same rate based on where she lives like it varies in price like yours may be different than mine it depends on your zip code what type of floodplain or zone that you're in um but on average texas premiums range from 479 dollars a year to 1165 dollars a year Um, so it's going to be in there now if she wants to check and see like hey could i do better with private flood insurance she could do that i can tell you about my experience with that So I called, it was in May, whenever I saw these higher rates, and um, I called the the brokerage company that I use, and I said, hey, I just want to check what private flood insurance would be. And there was only one flood insurance company or company, insurance company offering private flood insurance in my zip code. And that rate was higher. So through FEMA, I was going to pay $687. This one was $729.23, so more money. And they did offer different things. Like, for example... Um, you know, I said that that FEMA will only pay two hundred fifty thousand. This one would pay three hundred and seventy thousand dollars for your structure. So uh, you know, you have more. So check sort of the different things. But you know what else people should check, Andrea? What reviews of companies? Of course. So the downside, or sort of one of the biggest, if you're looking at pros and cons, one of the biggest cons is that these private flood insurance companies, a lot of people will tell you, have not been around long enough to for you to see how reliable they would be in a major event like Harvey or like Ian what just hit Florida I mean damages like that um, with so many people hundreds of thousands of people making claims in one year from one event could break an insurance company and then if they go bankrupt and you have nothing I mean who cares that you paid like a hundred dollars less for your premium if they can't cover your losses that would really stink so you got to look. I mean, and on this one, I just happened to Google the name of the company and reviews. And the only one that would offer private flood, private flood insurance in my zip code, they got terrible reviews. And most of them were for people who, who were saying like, oh, just try getting any money out of them. Like they never, you call and call and call. So all of those are things to take into consideration. So answer to her question is, can you shop around for flood insurance? If you're required to have it by your mortgage, income, mortgage in company, ask them first. If they'll take private flood insurance, and if they will, you know, you could call and check and see what benefit that might be, That's if good. any. Yeah, and we'll put in our show notes, we'll put the links to anything we talk about in here today, including what Amy just mentioned with how to shop and how to look at reviews and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So okay, next up, climate control storage companies. You guys, every neighborhood in Houston, you drive down, they have a climate control storage. I mean, forget Marie Kondo. Like, who are these people, I mean, I guess everyone, with storage units? Because they go up. I mean, there. it feels like there's more storage units than there are apartments. They're everywhere. In our area. They're everywhere. And this is something we get, uh, I feel like we get, you know, at least three or four a month questions about climate control storage. 
Um, you know, you can get everything from not climate controlled, which I don't know if that would be a good idea. Like outside where the where you access it from the outside where it's more like a garage unit, I guess. Right. They have those. Uh-huh. And then, you know, then they have all the way up to climate control with cameras and you can the security measures to get all in. But no matter what kind of security you have, sometimes things happen. We've had questions about flooding. Um, their units got flooded or theft. There's we been- had the, the most recent one, I think, right, was the woman who's she goes in her unit one day to take some things out or to add some things. And almost all of her stuff was gone. Yeah. Yeah. And in that case, she had, um, we worked together on that story. She had insurance that was included in the cost of her monthly rental payment but then when she went to file a claim they were like oh well they denied it and she's like what do you mean you're denying it and so that's that's you know where we started out like again we learn a lot of things as you're investigating each of these cases in that instance what we learned um, is that no matter where where your storage unit is before something like this happens this woman this question oh we never we haven't got to the question yet give okay. me a question and then I'll <laughs> okay adrian wants to know amy what is the liability of a climate control storage company when rodents eat up everything Ew. yeah so climate control that means her storage unit was inside with air conditioning or heat and so then you're thinking i'm paying um let's get to that later um you're thinking that i'm i'm paying for you know, an environment that is not going to have rodents, certainly. Hmm. Um, so first thing you got to do is you want to look at your contract. What does it say? Because while it seems like it should be common sense that you should expect that your belongings that you pay to store in a climate-controlled unit would be free from pests and rodents and rats, if there is um, language in your lease agreement in your agreement that says this facility is not liable for any damage to your property beyond the company's control a lot of times it will say that um you know by a fire or an earthquake they're saying those things are beyond their control true but a normal person might argue that an infestation of rodents is within their control you know like if they they take measures to keep rats out or do routine inspections um or there might be something in there that you have to purchase insurance to protect against that sort of thing. And so read it. If none of that is in there, if it doesn't say anything about any of that, then obviously, you know, you would just use your common sense thing and go back to like, hey, you're a reputable business. You should make sure that your facility doesn't have rodents. And you could probably file a claim, write a letter. Sometimes it doesn't hurt to have an attorney write a letter asking for compensation. Um, I mean, you know, what were your damages? Take pictures, what was damaged in your unit? But these are the types of things where if there's no language, if there's nothing written in your contract, you're gonna go back to, if they're not reasonable and they don't respond to you filing, writing a letter and saying, hey, I expect to be compensated for X, Y, and Z, it's gonna end up in small claims court is really your, your recourse. That's where you would have to go with that. And so then what would you ask for? Um, like rent abatement, like, you know, reimbursement for your furniture. But we all know they're paying you back for the value of, you know, what you might get for it in a garage sale or something. They're not paying you the price that you paid for it, you know, when you bought it brand new. Or maybe you can make friends with people around you in the unit and see if they have damage. Right. Maybe team up and... Yeah. I mean, that's there's always strength in numbers, right? Definitely. But, but we, so when we've done this story before we did learn a few things because some people said, oh, well, maybe check your own homeowner's insurance. So say, so she does have a lot of 
damage and she needs to be compensated for it, furniture or whatever. And the storage, con uh, the storage company just will not budge. She could also check with her homeowner's insurance because a lot of times if you have a home, you're renting one of these storage units, a lot of times your coverage will extend to stuff, possessions that you have inside a storage unit. So you could check for that about reimbursement. So yeah, takeaways from some of the past stories that we've been covering is, and kind of already mentioned this, but don't buy insur insurance through the self-storage facility. Um, that insurance basically isn't going to cover your claim. Yeah, like so what people find is if you're buying the policy through whatever company is, is offering the storage, it usually doesn't cover anything. And then if it does, your claims are limited to like a couple thousand dollars. And sometimes you might have more than that. So just make sure you read everything. I know it might seem like it's easiest to just while you're there paying for the, the lease that you just go ahead and add on a few bucks for that insurance. But I mean, if it doesn't really cover anything anyway, you might as well go to like either your homeowner's company, insurance company, or just a third party company to provide that insurance. And then if you have a problem with a, with a stored, a self-storage company, can play to the Better Business Bureau. If you're not getting anywhere with the company when you try to file that claim, companies these days always respond to and don't want to be called out on social media. Um, I don't think that you use that as a way to threaten a company, but I mean, you use that as a way to say, hey, here was my experience and you're helping other consumers in that process. If you're being honest about it, right? I mean, you always want to be honest. Right. And then even when you do complain to the Better Business Bureau, I know we say that a lot, um, Those the Better Business Bureau will go after these companies and try to find a resolution for you. I mean, mm -hmm. they actually do through every single case and on their website even where you can search storage companies, see if that company is on there, read what other people have experienced, but they'll they'll individually help you out with your case. So they're they're like they're helpful. sending that sort of letter, not sort of, they're sending that letter to the company to say, oh, this person called and said um, they had this problem with your company. We would um, appreciate your response. Sometimes the company doesn't respond at all, but when they do, it may be better than what you've gotten. Hey, let's take a quick break. We've had a couple questions. When we come back, we're talking about people digging in your yard. We've gotten a lot of questions from people over the years about they see a utility company digging and either they didn't put it back the right way or they don't like the way that they're taking their time on their property, messing up their yard. We're going to talk about that when we come back. All right, welcome back to this Ask Amy episode. We're just going through some of the questions that you guys have emailed us that we're getting from viewers and listeners. And one of the things that we hear about from people a lot are when utility companies come into their yard to dig um, for those fiber lines, or maybe there was a problem with a gas line that didn't really originate on your property, but now you've got some company in your yard digging on the right of way. And it can be really frustrating. Yeah, or you come up from work and you see a thousand little flags in your yard and you're <laughs> like, uh, what's happening? Right. Yeah. So that, I think that is where this this question came from. So Carolyn says the 811 line does not give information about why they're on your property. The website doesn't answer the questions either. Where do I find out this information? Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. So the 811 line that she's talking about, um, basically nationwide, you, maybe you recall seeing those signs that say, call before you dig. So you're, if you're going to be doing, or any company or utility is going to be doing any significant digging, you're supposed to call 811 
report that you want to dig you give them the address of the area and then you have to wait 48 hours and that waiting time is supposed to give all the utilities who might have lines or wires buried there it gives them two days to get to the property and put those little flags and spray paint the little markings so that you know where not to dig it tells you like each color means something like if it's red or if it's orange like this is a gas line this is a this um and so then you're supposed to wait before you start digging so it sounds like Carolyn was saying somebody was digging in my yard. I couldn't get any or nearby my property. I couldn't get any information about why they were digging. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. Can it work the other way around? So if I notice these little flags, like you said, in my yard um, or already somebody's digging, but the crews are like, oh, you know, we don't have any information about it. We're just we're just told to do this. You can call 211. I mean, sorry, not 211. You can call 811. You can call 811 and you can ask. You can give them your address or cross streets and they can check for you and tell you which company filed notification that they would be digging because they're required to. And then they could give you the phone number of that company and the nature of the work that they're supposed to be doing, right? Right. Um, she said that whenever you call this person that I spoke with at 811 said when you call the number that maybe Carolyn thought it seemed like it was all geared towards utilities that are doing the digging and she said the recorded um, greeting does sound like that but if she waits and talks to what's called a damage prevention agent that they would be able to look up the address for you and tell you um, what they're digging what they're doing now if somebody's digging in your yard and you get this damage prevention agent and they say we have nothing on file no record of anybody that's supposed to be doing a dig digging you can report that and she said you should and there have been times where i don't know if this has happened to you guys but where you see the flags okay you know something might be happening but they didn't put anything on your door which they're supposed to tell you what they're going to be doing mm -hmm. um and then it's like weeks and weeks and nothing ever happens so then you're like okay do i mow around these things like it's a pain. that's a real problem so uh, we've had that uh, what happened and so it sounds like to me i mean what the company is trying to do is meet this requirement that they file the notification within 48 hours but then it's like a subcontractor or a third-party company that's going out and they might not go for months but they're like but we already did the lines but yeah to your point and to other people's point who've called us well the lines aren't marked anymore because when this third-party company goes out i've mowed the grass four times since then and nothing's there. Um, that is a very interesting question because it, the law doesn't say that they have to go back out within, you know, a week or two weeks while the lines are still there. But obviously, best practices, that's what this was all intended for. That was sort of the, you know, nature of, of the reason why you have the market. Um, when I say that you should report it and you could report that concern as well, they say you should report it to One Call Texas. And it's www.onecalltexas.com that has a phone number that you can call on there or you could submit your information, your complaint or question online at One Call Texas to report it there. And I'm wondering, like these days, should you call like we, we put up a gazebo in our backyard, one of those Costco gazebo things. Uh -huh. And we had to dig a little. But now, like with those fiber lines they're putting in, I've, I've heard like they don't put them as deep. So yeah. I'm wondering, should we should we call? just in case like are they gonna know just to be on the safe side i don't want to mess something up yeah i mean and that's a very good question because when we started this andrew is like well how deep i'm like yeah i didn't find that answer immediately but you're to your point those fiber lines are not very deep it never hurts to just go ahead and ask i mean i would say if you're you know if you're digging in your garden obviously know where you're planting plants but yeah i mean if it's and it's certainly too anywhere anywhere near the the right of way at all you would certainly want to call 
True. like the easement on the side of your property. It doesn't hurt to call and ask if they could come and mark it. Because mm -hmm. you said you've heard of people like taking out the whole fiber line on accident. Yes, we've yeah, gotten. And then your neighbors are going to be mad at you. Right? Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. So well, we're moving on. We're talking um, electricity. I mean, we, we get a ton of questions about electricity. And this one was a woman who called us after people came to her door. Yeah, she said, Judy from the Champions area said, two women came to my door claiming to represent Direct Energy. They were wearing Direct Energy shirts. They told her that she could get eight cents a kilowatt with no delivery charge for electricity. She's suspicious. She worries it might be a scam. How can she find out? Yeah, and we've heard about these before, too, that people go door to door. You got to be really leery because we've you know heard of instances that long ago, it was called slamming. Whenever they would switch your electricity company without your consent, you didn't really realize that's what you were signing up for. Um, so you have to be very careful. Now, Judy was able to get a business card. It had some like name, lines drawn through. And she's like, but this business card doesn't say direct energy. Like, who are these people? So the people that came to Judy's door because she was able to take a shot of the um, business card and send it to us, they're um, energy brokers. Um, and so they are people that are signed up that could switch your electricity to any number of electricity companies, right? And so they can do that for you. The good news is, is that in Texas, you have to be registered as an energy broker, or electricity broker with the Public Utility Commission. So I didn't realize this either um, until I asked the question for Judy, but there is a place on the Public Utility Commission website, and we will link you to it in the show notes, where you can look up any energy broker or electricity broker by the name of the company that they're working for. Um, and we looked it up, and this company that came to her door is a legitimate, they are um, registered with the state of Texas. And so a few of the things that it says that they have to, um, if you're, you're going to go door to door, um, selling electricity, you have to, it says wear a name tag. So I, I didn't ask Judy if they had a name tag, but identifying the company that you're with, but then also they, it does say that they have to be wearing clothing or a name tag or something that identifies which company you're representing. So in this case, it was direct energy. And she said they did have on direct energy shirts. So that is right. But with anybody who comes to your door, door to door salespeople in Texas, anything that they sell, customers have a three day right um, to change their mind with anything that people are selling door to door. So that's something to keep in mind, too, that if you do that, um, you want to make sure that you get all the proper documentation. They have to give you disclosures and stuff. And the reason that's important is because if you switch your electricity and then you want to change your mind within three days, According to the state law, you can do that. You have that right. It's interesting that they were a company that brokers for all electricity companies, but then they chose just one specific to go after in that neighborhood. Right, because an electricity broker right, could sign you up for any number of companies. But it sounds like in that instance when they were going door to door, they were like, oh, we can make this switch from, you know, whatever your company is to direct energy. So maybe that day they were only signing people up with direct energy. I'm not sure. We ha I use a company like uh -huh. this that where you pay a monthly f or no, a yearly fee. It's $99 a year, but they're constantly switching you basically for a better rate. Yeah, like they're always looking to see what's better. Um, and there are a lot of these electricity brokers in our area because of deregulation that can help you do it. And it can be, you know, a, it's a valuable service if you don't like spending the time trying to figure it out all yourself because it's confusing. Um I 
Personally, if somebody came to my door making these offers, wouldn't sign up on the spot, I would probably take that card, go to the PUC's website, investigate the electricity broker, are there any complaints about them, um, and then see if you could get that rate yourself. <laughs> and if you couldn't, then you could, and everything checked out, then you could call them back and do it. I mean, you know, always sleep on everything. And there shouldn't be any instance of like, oh, if you don't take this rate right now, you know. Is it just me, though? Those door-to-door salesmen, they do, they are very pushy about, Yeah. they want to set an appointment and they want everyone who's living in that household to be there when they come back. Right. They always yeah. seem to be like that. But I mean, it depends on what they're selling. But sometimes sure. if they're selling something that is you know, high dollar, or they're going to try to get you to take a loan out. They need everyone who's on the mortgage to be there. Good point. Okay. <laughs> to discuss it. Yeah. But no, pushy. I get you. I agree. But hey, that's why they're salespeople. Exactly. I know. The next question that we got was from Juan. Um, and, and it was an interesting question, and it's something that has come up a lot um, in past years. But his question was about cash versus credit cards. Yeah, he says, when I go shopping, I notice some sellers only take cash and not credit cards. Is this legal? I think it's hilarious. So it's 2022. The question might have been before, um, like, why are they making me use, you know, like not everybody has a credit card. And now it's like, nobody has cash. Why are they making me use cash? I mean, Juan, if it's a, a private business, they can ask for payment in any way they, you know, want it, any sort of monetary, whatever. And so if they choose not to accept credit cards, it's usually because it costs a business to accept credit cards. They have to pay credit card processing fees for every transaction. And so, yeah, they can say cash only. And you could certainly take your business someplace else if you don't have cash. Um, or like whenever you have, you, have you noticed sometimes when you check out, they say, is this debit or credit? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll ask, especially if it's like a, you know, mom and pop shop, I'll say, would you rather me do it as debit? Uh -huh. Because I know that it's going to charge them less if I do it as a debit transaction than if I were to do it as a credit transaction, right? Yeah, yeah. because those processing fees cost the business. It's also where you might see some, some of the businesses say, unless you're buying, like at a convenience store, unless you're buying at least $10 worth of items, you can't use a credit card. It's because it has to make it at least worth it for them to pay that credit card processing fee um, and then they used to say like oh businesses shouldn't charge you um, charge pass that processing fee along to you basically charge you more if you're paying with credit card that wasn't a law that was an agreement that businesses have with like MasterCard and Visa so MasterCard and Visa would say like hey if you want your customers to be able to pay with with you know our cards that's the cost of the convenience to you as the merchant or the business, you know, the business, you, you're eating those costs. You're not then charging consumers more because the credit cards don't want the, the consumers to not want to use a credit card because it costs them more. And sometimes you get a better deal. Some places, like the massage place I go to, uh -huh. they'll say, oh, we'll give you $5 off if you pay with cash. Yeah. They want, they want cash. I mean, the other most common example we see are the um, gas stations. Here's the cash price. And then here's the credit card price, you know? So there you have it, sort of your rundown in policies. We'll see if we have time for one more question before we get into it. This was a um, something that we did this, uh, this week was on HOAs, and we've got a very little time left, but let's try to cover it. You kind of give them the rundown on this viewer who called us, thought that she was getting one thing when she purchased her home. Right. Long story short, she bought in this neighborhood years and years ago. On the brochure it said, there was going to be a security gate with a guard shack there. Now, 15 years later, there's no guard shack in that location where she was expecting it. So that's kind of a 
long story short there. Yeah, and so she had these marketing materials from the builder and she kept referencing those to look back on that this is what they promised me when I moved here and then they never put that guard check at the entrance where it says they're going to have it. So long story short, her statute of limitations has run out. So the attorney that we consulted said she did have a case, but she would have needed to have taken action or sued or done something by four years. The statute of limitations runs out in four years. But I mention this because we've gotten emails from other people who say, hey, we moved into this neighborhood a year ago because the builder said they were going to build this big fancy lagoon here. Now that we're here, they say, oh, they've decided to move it to a neighborhood across the street or across the way, like a related neighborhood. Um, in those cases, if all you have to rely on, but you have those marketing materials, you could probably sue or file some sort of case and use that as evidence. That's that's strong. But if it's something, you know, you're trying to hold them to without going to court, it, I mean, like, it's look at your contract. Make sure you're protected with whatever. If you want to buy a home in that neighborhood because of this feature, make sure you've got it written in a contract somewhere with the developer, the builder signature, and yours saying this is what's going there. All right, that wraps us up for today. Thanks so much for joining us for this Ask Amy episode. We are going to have all the details in the show notes, everything we mentioned here for you to find easily. All right. Have a great day.